guys. Good morning. Good morning. Glad to see you guys. Second Corinthians chapter nine. 2 Corinthians chapter nine, verse six. I was reading this week, guys, about a lady who, uh, older lady, comes out of her front door of her home every morning, and she just first thing lifts her hands to heaven and says, "Praise the Lord." I thought it's a cool story. Every morning. I also learned she lives next door to an atheist. So every morning she comes out and says, praise the Lord. And he says, shut up and get back in the house. There is no God. And I thought, man, that's kind of that's rough. And she comes out every morning, though. First thing, raises her hands to heaven. Praise the Lord. And he says, shut up and get back in the house. There is no God. And I read the story said that there came a time in the lady's life that she was kind of going through a difficult time with the economy. And uh, she prayed loud. After she said, praise the Lord, she says, Lord, I, I'm, I'm a little short on groceries and food. I, I, I need some help. But praise you, Lord. And went back in the house. Next morning, she got back up, her regular routine. She came out and she said, praise the Lord. And she looked down and there were groceries everywhere. And she said, praise the Lord. And the atheist was hiding behind the bush and says, aha, I put those groceries on your step. There is no God. And she said, praise you, Lord, and smiled and said, not only did you provide for me, but you made Satan pay for it. God bless you. I kind of read that story. I thought, that's kind of funny right there now. Now, look, let me talk to you a little bit here. We, we've been talking a lot, I don't know if you've noticed, about money. And uh, I can always tell when I'm talking about money. I get the most emails. Because I can talk to you about anything at all except your money. That's just the, that's the rule of pastors, right? Talk to me about anything else, that's fine. But if you start talking about money, pastor, you're meddling in an area that's none of your business. Now, let me say something to you. This whole series is not about money. As a matter of fact, this is the last sermon in the series that focuses on our stuff. But there are seven total sermons, so that means there's four more to go. The blessed life is about far more than your stuff. I know that. There's a lot of you right here in this audience thinking, man, forget about the money. I would, I would feel like I had a blessed life if, if I was just well. If this, this, this ailment that I'm fighting would just go, I'd consider myself blessed. I'd consider myself blessed if my marriage could be restored because right now it's in a bad, bad way. Some of you think, man, if I could just have a child, I've met many moms who just tell me, or not moms, but want to be moms who say, you know, I wish God, if he would just open up my womb and I could have a child, that'd be a blessed life to me. I don't ask for a lot. I just want a child. Some of you want your kids who you're estranged from to return home. You know, the blessed life, I know that. And that's why that we're going to talk a lot more uh, about a lot other things other than just our stuff. But here's why I spent three weeks, and this is the third, talking about your relationship to your stuff. And it's because of this. It's because there can be no significant spiritual growth in your life unless you put your money and your attitude toward it into God's hands. Now, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Word for word, no. But here's how he said it and communicated it. He talked more about your money than he did about heaven and hell combined. And you know why? Because he knew. Think about it. What is most precious to you? Your cash. Come on now. I mean, we'll fight for that. And we think somebody's done us wrong or cheated us, man, we get fired up. Jesus knew that your relationship to God is going to change your relationship to your stuff. And he went one step further, that your relationship to your stuff will speak volumes about the depth of your relationship to God. And that's why I wanted to spend a few weeks on that before we moved on. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take you to a passage today in 2 Corinthians 9 that JP read earlier that I have struggled with 
So you can take a kind of a, a deep breath and think, finally, he's going to turn his attention off of me and onto himself for a bit. And that's kind of what I'm going to do because this is a passage I've struggled with all my life and it's a passage I don't do well. It's a passage that forces me to ask four questions about my life. And I'm going to ask those four questions and I'm going to walk you through this. And we're going to get to do what we call expository teaching today. We're only going to deal with one passage and I'm going to take you through it verse by verse because it's a passage that is revealing about who I am, about who you are. And I hope that you'll ask the same questions of yourself that I've asked about myself and that hopefully you'll come to some different conclusions. So here's how Paul starts this passage. He says this, and remember, this is written to the church at Corinth. This is the first book written in your New Testament. Now, it's not the first book recorded, but date-wise, this would have been the first one written, and he says this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, that brings to eye the first question, which is this, what really drives me? What gets me going? What causes the blood to just surge through my veins? What gets my heart rate up and pumping fast? What is it that really pumps me up? Does this squirrel look like he's pumped up to you? I thought, is this, is he? I think he does for me. <laughs> I love this photo I found. What really gets me going? And I've had to ask myself, and here's the reason. Here's what Paul is doing. He's using an example of agriculture, and he's saying, look at this. These little apple seeds, man, you can barely see these things. I've got like 15 in my hand. Here's one. And yet if you put it into the ground, you get this beautiful tree on the screen behind me. And it's huge, and it's glorious. And there, one little seed can produce so much of a harvest. Matter of fact, you know what these are, guys? Avocados. I did not know they existed until I moved to California five years ago. We don't have avocados in the South. And if we did, we would fry it. But... I didn't know, I did not know the avocado existed. I, found, I discovered avocado. These are beautiful. These are, this is a gift from God, man. This is probably your greatest contribution as a California to the world. Avocados. Now I put these things on every sandwich, everything I eat, I pile it on. And I just discovered like a month ago that guacamole is just avocado smashed up. I thought they were two different things. And so what a beautiful little fruit to put into the ground and then grows into a beautiful avocado tree. And here's the point, as I think about this agricultural example, I've really had to come to terms with my life and what really makes me tick and what I'm passionate about. Because here's the reality. Unless I'm passionate about a full harvest, I don't care about this verse that unless you sow generously, you won't reap generously. Unless I really want to reap generously, I don't care about sowing. My dad, I've been thinking a lot about him this week. My birthday is August 29th. It was this past Thursday. You can send belated gift to, to the office. Now, <laughs> My dad died on my birthday two, days, two, uh, two years ago, and so I've been thinking a lot about my dad. My dad loved to grow tomatoes. He could grow some of the largest tomatoes you've ever seen. And I think he got a little bit of his security and sense of purpose out of it because every harvest year he would take these tomatoes to the little small church we attended and he'd give them out and people would just line up and they talked about Dean Vines tomato vines. It was amazing. And he'd grow these huge tomatoes. One year he just got carried away. I can't remember what year it was, but he just wanted to have enough tomatoes for the whole town of our little city of Elizabethan. So he put vines out in the whole garden. Usually it was just green beans and potato, but this year he just went crazy. And it was a good year for growing them. Soil was right, and he understood that because he worked in produce, and the rains were good, everything, and he grew these huge tomatoes in all these boxes. He forced us, because we had, we had tomatoes all over the house that year. 
is before air conditioned. So you, you'd put them in the windowsill to ripen them fully and completely. And so they were in every windowsill. They were on the kitchen table. They were on the back of the toilet. They were, in, they were in our clothes, in the closets. They were on the front porch. They were everywhere. And my mom just finally had had enough. She said, Dean Vines, if you don't get rid of those tomatoes, I'm going to throw you out of the house. And of course, he did what mom said. And we, he forced us kids. I had three brothers. He forced us to get in the car, each of us with big boxes of tomatoes. He forced us to go to the neighbor's houses, ring the doorbell, drop the box, and run away to give those tomatoes away. It was my dad. I mean, the thing about it is, no one had to tell my father to go out in the hot summertime and plant and weed and grow and sow because my dad always wanted a great harvest of tomatoes. And my point is this, I look at how passionate my dad was about that and I look at this verse when the Apostle Paul is talking about reaping and sowing and I think, my goodness, what is it that drives me? What am I passionate about? Why do I get up in the morning? And man, I find that my attitude is not that good. It's not. Because I'm so distracted by every other thing. I keep sowing seeds that are going to give me no return. Or at least temporary at best. Guys, it used to be basketball. I mean, that's what drove me. I woke up thinking about basketball. I went to sleep thinking about basketball. I slept with my Spalding basketball. True story. I dribbled it to school and home again. I was just so enamored. It was what I lived for. Then it was golf. And then I met my wife. And then I had children. I had a family. And all those things still drive me. There's still a great purpose in my life. And there's nothing wrong with that. But ultimately, here's what Jesus tells me. That if you've got it, if you really got it, you understand what the world is about, what your life is about, then your greatest passion, man, the thing that pumps you up, the thing that drives you, is when people who are far from God come near and that drives you. It's why you get up in the morning. And I read that and I realize that's not my life. Sometimes, sometimes I'm good at it. But it seems to be the exception more than the rule. I got an email this past week from a couple who attend Saturday night. And it was a long email. And I told you I don't read long emails. But this was a good one. And he was a good writer. And he hooked me right away. And I read the whole thing. And the, the premise of the email was this. That he walked in with his wife to the service on a Saturday night. And he said, the first service I attended, I just sat there and I wept the whole service. I thought, wow. And I wanted to know why. You know, was the sermon that bad? Was the music off? What was going on? He said, I came back a few weeks later and the same thing happened. And he said, then it finally dawned on me the reason I was moved so emotionally is I had finally found what I had been looking for all my life. And my heart started pumping, the blood started going through, my, and I go, yeah, that's what, my, that's what it's about. And I see the look in your eye. You're just like me. I see you when I talk about, for instance, those kids in Nairobi, Kenya. I see how you kind of rate, yeah, and you get glad. I see what you did when we show this video of what we're going to do for the single moms. I see your eyes. I, see, I know that your heart down deep in there is right. Somewhere you really do live for that. Somewhere it drives you. Somewhere you know you want to live for eternity. The problem is you're like me. And you just have a very difficult time living it out pragmatically every day because you get distracted. By things that just don't matter. How can, how can we be helped? How can you and I have that drive and that passion every day? Every day, the first question I always ask myself when I come to this, I am not going to be willing to sow generously into the kingdom of God unless I really care that the harvest is great. And I can't just care from time to time. It's got to be a pattern of my life that every day what pumps me up, what drives me is when people who are far from God come near to God. 
Look at what he says in the next part of this verse. We're dealing with this verse. He says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Somebody will say, well, there's your New Testament example of tithing. This is not about tithing, folks. This is about a famine that's happening in Macedonia. And the Apostle Paul comes to these people and says, look, I want you to give a gift to these people who are starving, who are struggling in poverty. And he says, I want you to decide between you and God what it is you're going to give to help them. And he says, when you give it, I want you to give it how? Cheerfully. How is that possible? Come on. This is a real world. I told you at CCV, man, this is just real people around here. Is it hard to part with cash or what? Come on. Man, look, I love the game of golf, but when I have to pay for it, which is most of the time, I don't like it. And that's something I enjoy doing. We just don't like in America partying with our cash because it's not about what we just bought. It's what we could have bought had we kept it. That's how we think. How is it possible? You know, you know who's given me a great example of cheerful giving is Dane Johnson. I don't know if you know him. Dane is one of the most generous people you'll ever meet. And he told me that when he came to California, in his own words, he didn't have two nickels to rub together. And he was really, really living in a state of poverty for the first couple of months and then the first couple of years. Eating off the floor of his little apartment, didn't know if he was going to have enough money to eat the next week. He finally got a job somewhere, and he didn't work for the church at this period. And then for a few years, he found himself one day, I'll never forget when he told me this. He said, uh, Jeff, there came a time when I got a tax bill from the state of California, and it just ruined my week. Uh, he said, just, I was just so upset with it because it was so expensive. And he said, but then the Lord did a real number on me. I said, what did the Lord do? He said, well, the Lord made me realize that God had blessed me so much since I'd come to California that I was actually paying more taxes than some people might make. And then the Lord spoke another word, Dane said. This is before he worked at CCV now. He said, the Lord told me, Dane, I can make you pay less taxes if you want. You with me? How would he do that? Robert Morris in this book called The Blessed Life said there came a time in his life when God told him to start giving his car away to a single mom. So he gave his car away. He said, I no sooner gave it away, somebody gave me one. So I gave that away to another single mom. And it just kept going like that. And I kept giving it away. Every time I gave one away, I got another one. So I, started to start, I decided to start this uh, ministry for single moms. We're going to give a car to single moms so that they can, and we're going to work on them. We're going to fuel them up. We're going to make sure moms have transportation. He said, then one guy, about a year after this ministry started, gave him a car. And it was three days between the guy, the time the guy gave him the car, the donor, and the time the recipient would receive the car. He had to keep it over the weekend. And during the time it was in his possession, it broke down. And he said, I got mad at God. I said, why couldn't it break down while the donor had it or after I gave it to the recipient? Why does it have to break down when I have it? So I have to put a new engine in it. And Robert Moore says, God spoke to me. It was very plain. He said, because I planned it this way. The giver did not have the money to repair the car. The recipient did not have the money to repair the car. But I blessed you and you've got the money to repair it. So I gave it to you. And then he finished this chapter in the book by saying, God said this to him, son, you should be grateful I've blessed you financially and that I've blessed you with the privilege of putting a new engine in the vehicle for the family. And then the Lord gave me a gentle warning saying this. Now, if you're tired of being a blessing to others, I can certainly direct those resources to somebody else. You see the point? The cheerful heart comes when you know, number one, that you're making a difference in somebody's life. That somebody who was dead is now alive. 
That somebody can now live. That somebody can now grow. That somebody can now be rescued. That you're making a difference. Somebody that had no hope in a future has hope in a future because you are sowing generously. That someone is saved. Someone is redeemed. Someone is restored. Somebody has their life totally changed because you said, you know what? I want a great harvest. And because I want a great harvest, I'm going to sow generously. And that just fires you up that you could make a difference for eternity and go past what is temporary. But the problem is, if you're like me, it doesn't fire you up often enough. Just from time to time when the pastor mentions it. What's wrong with us? I'm asking. I'm not, I'm not, there's no judgment here and I'm not being critical. I'm saying, what is wrong with us? What is it that, and I, I sometimes I think, God, is it even possible to be a Christ follower in, in America today? Because we don't look anything like that first church that was so radically generous, man, that they permeated and penetrated the entire Roman Empire and they became Christ followers because they looked at these Christians and said, man, they are so radically generous. They give everything away. That's not me. That is not me. Is that you? I mean, I talk a good game. I do. And yeah, I'm a tither. We're talking about, but we're talking about going past that into into having such a passion to sow generously into the kingdom to reap a great harvest. And that's not me. You know how I know it's not me? Just straight up with you. Because if it was really me, my wife and I would sell our house, downsize, and live as simply as possible to give the rest of it away. We've talked about it, but I just can't pull the trigger. Why? Because I, like you, have been inundated with the American marketers. And I'm told that unless I have this, this, and this, I won't be happy. When in reality, that's the thing that's making me not happy because it's never enough. I'm struggling with this in my own life. I've always thought being a tither, well, hey, that makes me good with God. And then I read this, Paul says, wait a minute. Have you ever asked yourself, what drives you? What, is you, what are you most passionate about? And if I walked with you, Jeff Vines, and I looked at your life, would that be what I would find? What you say you're driven and what you get fired up about and passionate about. And I know in my heart and my mind, no. No, it's not. Sometimes, but not all. Listen, folks, you know why everybody's hopping on the Dodger bandwagon? Thought about this? Oh, yeah. Everybody's on the Dodger band. When I first came here, I told you that I had a decision to make. I grew up as a Dodger fan. Steve Garvey, you know, Bill Russell, Davy Lopes, Ron Say, Steve Yeager, Dusty Baker, there were a lot. I meant Tommy Lasorda. Grew up listening to the Dodger games on a little blue transistor radio with one little earplug. Big Dodger fan. But when I came and moved to California, I realized I was going to have to make a choice between the Dodgers and the Angels. And the reason I chose the Angels is because I wanted to be able to go to a stadium without getting killed. <laughs> and I said, I said, I, I, said I, I want to be a baseball fan and I want to be a big baseball fan and I want to take my wife and kids to the stadium. So I'll, let's be Angel fans. Then we don't have to worry about not coming back from a baseball game. <laughs> but I want to tell you, you Dodger fans, I was wrong. Here's what I've discovered. The safest place in America is Dodger Stadium if you have a Dodger shirt on. <laughs> because if somebody messes with you, you got 40,000 people going to come and take up for you. These guys are loyal to each other. And I've realized you've got to be an idiot to wear any other thing than Dodger blue to Dodger Stadium. Your life is in your own hands. But if you wear a Dodger shirt, man, you are good to go. Now, here's what else I've discovered. Think about what we're paying these guys to play this game. Think about what we pay them and think about what we pay our teachers. It's amazing, isn't it? But when I say we, I mean we. I do it too. 
This place is selling out. I thought we were having a tough economy. Place is sold out. Not only do they pay heaps some money for the ticket, folks, it's five bucks for a Dodger dog. Let's, let's face it. It might be good. It ain't that good. And I can't believe that people will come and pay this money. Then they'll get a hot dog. This guy's probably sitting on 15 bucks here. And the problem is, I do the same thing. I've been going to Dodger games because my friend Anthony McMahon has gotten us some tickets. And we go together and ask him. First thing I do, where's my Dodger dog? Give me that dot coat. Give me some of that caramel corn. Oh, I'll have some of that ice cream. I have no trouble partying with my cash as long as it's for me. No trouble at all. Which shows that what drives me isn't what should drive me all the time. And I ask myself over and over, I think the reason, folks, that we are so bandwagon type people is because, listen, we all want to be part of something successful. Come on, that's why everybody's hopping on the Dodger bandwagon. We want to be part of something that's winning. And we think somehow that as fans, we've got a part to play in this. Somehow it's because of our fanhood that they're doing so well, right? We want to be part of something that's so successful. And the reality is, folks, there's nothing more successful than the kingdom of God. It lasts forever. Dodger Blue may be done by the end of October, maybe by the end of September. You never know. Maybe by the next year, it'll be a whole, you see what I'm saying? We are so willing to invest in things that are temporary here and now, but the kingdom of God is not shakable, the Bible says. It is a city that will last forever, and you have an inheritance that cannot be taken away. And if we really believe that, if I really believe that, if we believed it together, man, we would so generously, because we know we would reap generously, and nothing would motivate us like that. I got to change, and you got to change because Dane is one of the most generous people I know, uh, over the last few months, he's been walking around the office saying some things that I don't understand. I'll go to Dane and I'll say, Dane, how are you? And he'll say, happy, happy, happy. <laughs> and first time I heard that, I thought, what? So a couple of weeks went by, I said, Dane, how's it going today? He said, ah, happy, happy, happy. I had no idea why that was. I think it was Greg Lindsay who said, Jeff, you know what Dane's doing, don't you? I said, no. Have you ever seen Duck Dynasty? And I said, Duck What? Now, how many of you watch Duck Dynasty? Oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? I don't even know what to think. That's it. I'm just... I watched the show. And then it dawned on me why Dane likes it so much. Those are his people. And if you look, this is the guy right here. This is Phil, right? Right? This is Phil. And I had the tech guys remove his sunglasses. And look what he looks like without his sunglasses. Don't you think that looks just like Dane Johnson? I think they're one and the same. I really do. I mean, Phil and Dane, I've never seen them both together at the same time. I think Dan, they're the same person. The reason Dane likes the show, that's another story. But the reason I pointed that out is Dane is happy, happy, happy. He is, he's one of the happiest persons I know. And I think it has a lot to do with his generosity. And that's how you can be cheerful. So number one, quickly, what fires me up? Now, here's the second question. Can I be trusted with more? Boy, I've really had to ask myself that question. Now, let's go to the Word of God and let the Word of God speak. Here's what the Word of God says about this. And I know of no other way to understand this. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Stop right there. 
This bless you abundantly is from the Greek phrase that means to uh, make all grace abound. It's the word charis, the word for grace. It's the general idea of good favor, of goodwill, of joy, of pleasure, of those things. And what the Bible is saying here is that God is able to bless you abundantly. Uh, Parasuo, which is a word running over into your lap. God is able to bless you abundantly. Why? So that in all things, in some things, all things, all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The Bible says this. God wants to bless you abundantly in all ways, at all times, in order that you will have enough to go about and abound in every good work. In other words, he wants to bless you so that you can give it away. He wants to give you more so that you can sow more seeds. You with me? William Tyndale who is one of the most respected Old Testament, New Testament scholars probably ever, who wrote around the 1500s, long before health, wealth, and prosperity came about in the church, wrote this in commentary about the passage I just read. He said, the righteous man who desires to express his righteousness in benevolence will never lack the means of doing it. I've had to ask myself this question, and it's hurt, and it's painful. Jeff, if God sends you more, will you just sow it all into the kingdom? Man, I wish I could tell you yes. I'd be such a great example as your pastor. But the reality is God sent me more in the past. And yes, I might tithe a little of it. But do I sow more and more seeds? No, what's wrong with me? And I know the truth. We talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Did you like that cool example? Wasn't that cool? It wasn't. How many of you saw it? Wasn't it cool? Okay. Okay. (laughs) What just happened there, I want to say something to you, and I want to say it out of love. What just happened there is an example that most people who come to Christ Church of the Valley average one to two times a month. Okay, that's a good example of how even the first portion of our week is not given to Christ. It's amazing on a regular basis. We tend to come when we need a spiritual buzz, but we don't dedicate that time. So I say that out of love, but it's just who we are. So you missed a great example, so I'm going to show it to you again. We learned last week in feeding the 5,000 as Jesus fed them, we learned two valuable principles. Number one, that you can't expect something to multiply until Jesus blesses it. And so they went through the crowds and they got the first portions of the food, the bread and loaves, and they gave it to Jesus and he held it up and he blessed it. And then he broke it and gave it to the disciples. But the miracle of expansion did not happen in the hands of Jesus. It only happened when the disciples started to give away what God had blessed. You see? Something can only multiply when it's given away. And we said, this is kind of what we give to God right here. It kind of represents what God asked us for. It's so small. Out of the, look, there's not much in there, is there? That's, what we, that's the first portions of our life. That's what he asked us to give. But he says, if you'll take those first portions and you'll really dedicate them to me, and if I can really trust you that you'll sow whatever I send your way back into the kingdom of God, then here's what I'm going to do with what you gave me. I'm going to add the power of my spirit to it, and it's just going to start growing. And what started out as small is going to grow, and it's going to grow, and it's going to grow, and it's just going to ease up. It's going to get wider. It's going to expand. It's going to overflow. And you start out with just a little bit. If you give that to me, I'm going to bless it. And then if you have the attitude that you're going to sow more and more seed into the kingdom, it's just going to explode everywhere so that you're going to have so much more than you had in the beginning. That's the principle 
Can he trust you? As a matter of fact, folks, in Psalm 112, there's a passage that the next verse in your text in 2 Corinthians is a direct quote from that passage. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now, this is not talking about their righteousness in the sense they're going to be good people forever. This is talking about their righteous acts. Because they freely scatter their gifts, their righteous acts will endure forever. Twofold. One, those that you've helped will be there to greet you. They'll be your welcoming party in the life and world that is to come. But second, you will never lack. If your heart is to give more and more seed away to expand the kingdom of Christ, the Bible tells us God's going to make sure he sends some your way. Number one, what fires me up? Number two, can I be trusted with more? And three, do you see or do I see money that God sends my way as need, greed, or seed? Stay with me. This is the final part. Do you see what God sends you as need, greed, or seed? This is the ultimate question of this text, folks. Here's what the Bible says. Let's read the next verse. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower. Can we stop there for a moment? Notice it doesn't say he who supplies seed to the keeper. You with me? He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. I mean, I know of no other way to see this than to say he's saying that the one who gives us resources, seed, to sow, if, you're, if you go about the business of sowing, you're not only going to reap a great harvest and you're going to sow more, he's going to take care of your daily needs. Bread always stands for those daily needs. What you need will be supplied and he's going to increase your store of seed. He's going to give you more seed because he knows if he does that, you're going to continue to sow seed and the harvest of your righteousness is going to get greater and greater. Now, this past week, I got an email from a, a lady who said, you know, there's one thing I want to understand about this. If I give to God the first portions of my life and then I give away the excess that he sends me in order to build his kingdom, then why would I really be motivated to give away stuff? Because I don't get to keep it if I get more. You with me? Fair question. If God is not first in your life. You see, if you think this is a get-rich-quick scheme, if you think this is health, wealth, and prosperity, where, hey, you give God, and he's going to bless you with lots of money. From what I told you a while back, if I really believe that, then the church would give $10 away to everybody who comes in, expecting to get 100 back. It's your motivation. And if God knows your heart, is to sow as much as possible into his kingdom. I know of no other way to see this text other than this. He will make all grace abound to you. And he who blesses the seed and gives the seed will give you more generously, knowing that you're going to give what he sends your way above and beyond your need. You're going to give it away for the sake of the gospel. Do I do this? No. Why? I'm messed up. We, we are. Come on, we're, we're just, something wrong with us. Now, thank God for his grace and mercy, right? Because the reality is there's a lot of you in here, you're not even tithing yet. And that, that sermon has already been preached. And I, I don't know what to do with you. I, I don't. But I'm not going to point the finger at you without pointing it back at myself. Because tithing is not a way to earn favor with God. It's the beginning point. It's the beginning point of what somebody who really wants to sow and reap a great harvest does. But it goes beyond that. And we're all guilty. God help us. God help us all to not be so swept away by the American culture. Look, look, I go, I get up in the middle of the night, let's say it's 4 a.m. and I, I go out and I look at the stars. You say, what are you doing up? Well, sometimes I can't sleep. It's called old age. And I walk out 
And I think, man, God, thank you for my house. Thank you for my kids, my dog, that I got food in the fridge. Thank you, God. Now, the same thing happens in Africa, where a guy will walk out, let's say Zimbabwe, where I lived for 10 years, and he'll walk out of his mud hut in the bush of Africa, and he'll say, God, you've blessed me so much. Thank you for my mud hut and my one mil of sudza every day and my kids. You're so good to me. Now, if I were in his shoes, would I walk out of the hut and say what he said? No. Why? Because I have been led to believe that happiness comes from all this stuff we're being sold every day. And it's so powerful that a genuine sadness comes over us when we don't have the new iPhone, when we can't go to that movie that we want to go to, when we don't have that new brand of car. Remember what I told you in America, we're so wealthy, we even have little houses for our cars. And it's bigger than the houses most people in the world live in. What's, we need a heart change. We need something to happen in us. You do and so do I. The Bible says, verse 11, that you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And that is the finality of this passage. Why does God want to bless you generously? so that you will give generously and that people will give thanks to God. Let me tell you a story, an example of that, and then I'm going to finish, okay? This past week, it was my birthday on Thursday, so on Friday morning, I took Robin out to breakfast. We went to McDonald's, big spender. I happened to like McDonald's breakfast. What's wrong with that? Oatmeal, fruit and maple, egg white delight, I like that. We were seated there and a homeless lady walked in. And I love to watch my wife at work, man. Because she's got a spirit of discernment because she lived in Africa all those years. And she's just really able to discern the difference between a scam, which there's a lot of them out there, I know, and genuine need. She just, it's a gift. So we're sitting there and I notice she's not paying much attention to me, which, you know, for sanguines is hard to take. And I said, what's wrong? What are you looking at? She goes, there's a homeless lady that looked, walked in. I think I need to go help her. I said, is God telling you that, Robin? Yep, God wants me to go over there. Okay. I said, okay, I'll go with you. So I walked over there. She got out her wallet or purse or whatever after she found everything down in the bottom of it. <laughs> she starts talking to this lady. Her name is Debbie. And we sat and listened to her story. She just had a run of events, one after the next after the next. It's, she's ended up on the street with no family here in California. Man, it was sad. Sad story. And yes, we've heard sad stories that were scams. We know that, well, you, you hope you do. But this one was legit. And there are legit. Man, this lady just started crying. And my wife just grabbed her hand. And when Robin touched her hand, she just broke down. That somebody would touch her. And my wife looked at her and said, I want to pray for you. And man, then she got all happy. And Robin prayed. Best prayer. And then she started getting money. Now, I'm just being honest. I'll tell you how we think. Robin starts getting money out of her purse. And I saw the first 20 go out. Mm. I saw the second 20 go out. And I'm thinking, okay, Rob, I'm not sure God's voice is that loud. <laughs> hey, isn't that how we think? Because we start thinking what we could do with that, right? Same thing that somebody else did. Remember when the lady poured perfume on Jesus? And who got upset about it? Judas. Because he started thinking about what he could have done with that. That's what I was starting to think. I'm just like him. Not in every way, but we have those tendencies. And I saw Robin. I thought, Robin, I didn't want to say, what are you doing? But the cash kept coming out. I'm a pastor, you know. (laughs) 
she, she brought it out and she wanted the woman to have some clothes. She wanted to buy the woman some clothes and some food. And uh, Robin prayed and she said, I want you to know this is not from my husband and me. This is from God. And so be wise with what you do with it. It belongs to God. That's why the early church, by the way, had radical generosity. It was based on creation, that everything belonged to God anyway, and it was just on loan to us. So Robin said, and you should see the respect the lady had at that point. You could tell she believed that. And we walked out, and as we walked out, Robin said, we didn't do enough. So I don't know what else we could have done. And I thought, yeah, I do. A care center where we could have taken her, given her a room, a place to shower, some counseling, and help her get back on her feet. And that's my dream. And that's why I talk to you about our stuff. There's a fourth question I ask. It's the last one. Am I willing to allow God to change my heart? I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time. This is part of our message. Come on, ushers. And I'll give you the green light just in a second. When you came in, you were given a card again today, just like last week. And on that little card, it says, this is what I'm going to offer to God. If you didn't get a chance to fill it out last week or you were one of those persons that wanted a week to think about it, here's what I'm asking you to do. Take a pen or a pencil. Don't put your name on it. Don't want names. Just write on what you want to offer God that he might multiply. What are you willing to offer God that he would multiply so that you could sow more seed into the kingdom? It could be time. It could be talents. It could be money. And don't be general. Don't be general. If you're going to offer him time, time doing what? But I also want to use this moment because I'm just brave enough to know or to hope and to dream that we would change megachurch trends in the United States and that this would be one megachurch where more people tithe than didn't tithe. So for some of you who haven't started that journey, I want to say something to you. I want to encourage you to scratch out offering and write the word tithe down and make a commitment today that you're going to start bringing God the first portions. Now, here's, here's what I know about you. You didn't think I knew this, but I do. Most of you really want to, but you just don't see how you can do it, right? Most of you say, I really want to do that, Pastor Jeff. When you talk about it, I get, but I don't see, you don't know my situation. I've got myself in so much debt. I mean, I, I don't know how. Here's what I want to say to you. Here's how you do it. Faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. See, the reaping and sowing principle is very simple. You have to sow before you reap. And what most of us want to do is have God send us the harvest before we will sow. And God says, no, you first. You show me that you're willing to sow in little and uh, I'll give you more. But your heart has to be not to get wealthy. It has to be so that you would be able to sow more into the kingdom. Are you willing to allow God to change your heart? So as we take the offering now, put the cards in and whatever you brought to give, put the card, don't put your name and I know a lot of you put it in last week, so I, if I look tonight, you're not putting a card in, I know it's because you've already put it in, so don't feel bad. But if you've had that card and you've had time, please put that in. And while we're doing that, I want to finish the message, okay? And say to the guys back in the back that we're not going to do a closing song because I've, I've run out of time, but I want you to hear me on this. The reason those early Christians changed the Roman Empire, I want to read you a quote. I don't want it to come up before I'm ready. I want to read you a quote that a secular historian, somebody that's not a Christian, wrote 
about the early church in response to a governor who asked the question, why is this Christian thing overwhelming the Roman Empire? What is it about these Christ followers that's just spreading like wildfire? And the response of the secular historian to the governor was these words. They are poor, but they make many rich. They share their bed with no one, but their table with everyone. The distinctive mark of the Christian was radical generosity. They don't have much, but they make other people wealthy. They give their stuff away. And sex has become something that is saved for the act of marriage between a husband and a wife. But they share their table with anyone who's in need. That was radical generosity. And the Roman Empire looked at these Christians and said, what is it about these guys that make them give everything away the way they do? Now, of course, it wasn't everything. They just understood the difference between what I need and what is greed and what is supposed to be seed. You with me? And I'm telling you that here in America, we can live on a lot less than we do now. It's just a question of are we willing to give up some of those luxuries in order to sow into something that's going to last forever. I say that to myself, to you, to all of us. And on the day when we can say yes, then there will be a fully devoted follower of Jesus in every home in this valley. In the same way the early church penetrated the Roman Empire, we will penetrate this valley. Okay? Father, I pray your blessings on your people. I pray your love on all of us. I pray that you give us courage to do what we know to be right, to sow generously that we might reap a great harvest, that you would trust us with your resources to change this valley and the world beyond. Those who are contemplating the decision right now, I pray that you'd give them courage and faith that somehow in the midst of all this of the distractions that we face in America, we will come forward with great delight and say, count me in. I want to be part of something that is eternal. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great weekend.